Jody Vance in for Mike Smith this week. Glad to be along with you. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. I got to keep reminding myself. It's Tuesday, the 4th of July, 2023, a short week. I uh, hope you have enjoyed your long weekend. Maybe you're still on it. Maybe you're you're finding your way home. We'll get you there. We'll have uh, traffic, ferries, borders, all of it for you uh, as we roll along this next three hours. Also going to get to a couple of things. One in particular, yesterday morning, if you were tuned in, I promised you we were going to talk about best before dates and whether or not they're out of date. Best before dates on food. Do you follow them? Well, we got Lori Nickel, uh, the CEO of Second Harvest, joining us to talk about food waste, just how much food we waste because of best before dates. Are they a real thing or are they more of a way to get you to buy more often? We're going to talk that through. We're also going to discuss aspartame and how the WHO is moving toward classifying that artificial sweetener as a carcinogen. Now, lots of people love their um, Diet Coke. Let's just be honest. A lot of people thinking, oh my goodness, I've been drinking Diet Coke forever. Aspartame. What does that mean for me and my health? Professor Timothy Caulfield will be here to put science up first on whether or not your Diet Coke is deadly. Uh, We'll also uh, talk about, speaking of drinking, um, sober curious and how it is absolutely an exploding industry to have cocktails that are actually mocktails. An entire generation of people looking to still socialize and and party, but do so booze-free. We'll get into that. But first, the big story of the day, and Simi was touching on it this morning, of course, uh, the strike that is holding our ports quiet. 7,400 B.C. port workers and longshoremen on strike. And uh, what that means, what that means to the industry, what that means to consumers, how it might impact supply chain issues. There's a lot to dive into, and we want to start with how this might affect regular folk. What is going to happen here in terms of realistically how large our port is with regard to what comes and goes through our little corner of the world? It is not insignificant. In fact, a quarter to one third of all Canadian trade comes and goes via the West Coast ports, grains and fertilizers, foods and goods. And and there's the looming question One we will uh, broach a couple of times today, in fact. I'm going to get in this Keith Baldry as well. Should the federal government step in here? Just to set the table a bit, here's a taste of uh, Global BC's Grace Key reporting on on the strike. Have a listen. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union did not take any questions, but they were clearly frustrated with the process of the negotiations. Both sides headed back to the bargaining table Sunday morning after an overnight break following 33 consecutive hours of negotiations. Some 7,400 longshore workers walked off the job on Canada Day. The potential economic impacts can be significant if this is dragged out. The Port Authority is saying $1 of every $3 of Canada's trade in goods outside of North America America moves through the Port of Vancouver, so any disruption to port operations has a significant impact globally and on Canadians. Right, so just to put that into some context here, the cost of goods that flows through West Coast ports adds up to some $800 million a day, okay, $800 million a day, so that easily $5 billion each week. Let's put that little button on it, $5 billion a week. So picket lines and strikes, 
volatility hitting an already challenged supply chain world and an affordability challenged consumer. Let's connect now with somebody who knows and studies what we're talking about here. Professor Peter Hall is on the line from Simon Fraser University's Urban Studies and Geography. Professor, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to, nice to speak with you this morning, Jody. This is really a complex um, puzzle piece. Uh, you know, the effects that it might have, uh, you know, on a workforce and, and certainly the collecting, collective bargaining piece is one, but the greater piece is how much comes and goes through our ports here in, in British Columbia. Can you set the table for us in layman's terms of, of just how um, big of a deal this is, for lack of a better way of putting it? Sure. Um, so, um, uh, as, you, as you said a moment ago, every day um, $800 million of goods, and so, uh, goods flow, through the, flow through the port. Um, in the short run, those goods that are moving in and out of the port, um, they, you know, the supply chain can deal with a disruption that is, that is, that is short. And, um, and I say that, and that's a little bit complicated because if it's, uh, if it's fresh produce, the short term is really short. If it's a lump of coal, the short term can be quite long. It, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter if a lump of coal is, 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 is lying idle for a month. So every day a whole lot of goods move through the port, but only, only uh, like 1% of that value um, is going to actually handle those goods. That's the, um, the, the dock workers, the truckers, the warehouse people. Um, that activity, the handling of the goods, that, that gets disrupted immediately when the, when the ports shut down. But the actual value of the goods itself, um, that, only, that only starts getting affected if the strike or the disruption goes on for a longer time. And, and as I say, it's a complicated picture because uh, a disruption for a perishable is, is much more significant than a disruption for a non-perishable. Professor, can we predict what will get more expensive most quickly? Um, hmm, that, that's a tough one. Um, you know, one of the things that comes in through the port is, is fuel, um, uh, um, uh, you know, some refined uh, fuel products. So, you know, maybe, right. we'll, see, maybe we'll see some disruptions there. Um, uh, you know, but just to, just to sort of paint how complicated this is, um, if we can't send out container loads of uh, refrigerated fish, then the local price of fish might actually go down because those exporters have got, uh, you know, one of the choices they might make is to, is to sell the fish locally rather than export it. So it's a, it's, a really, it's a really uneven picture. Um, I, I think that I think it's, it's hard to see how this, causes a general increase in prices unless unless it goes on for a really long time um, because mm. as I say you know most things that come through the port particularly most of the imported goods they're things that um, that we can wait for um, you know you, you can wait for a new kitchen sink um, you can you can wait for a new piece of furniture um, there's no reason why the price of that should increase um, substantially if there's a, if there's a short disruption Right, because it won't be damaged by sitting there. It's the, those items are equivalent to that that piece of coal that you were referencing. So interesting. Exactly. While there are some some who are saying 
rather urgently that the federal government should, you know, legislate back to work because the port is essential. It's essential for perishables. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the fuel cost is, is real. But it, sure. it's, a, and, it's and a fine line, right? It, it, really, it really is a fine line. And so really, you know, and it's a, it's a, you, you've, got to feel, you've got to feel for the federal government because it's a complicated picture. You know, on the export side, um, there's, a, there's a provision that keeps the grain terminals open. Um, in the in the Canada Labor Code, so there's there's no concern about those getting shut down. Um, you know, the, when we had the when we had the trucker strike a few years ago, um, we did see some of the lumber mills um, have to go slow um, because um, because there wasn't anywhere to store the uh, the cut lumber. So that kind mm-hmm. of impact does does um, you know does happen to industries that are exporting goods as well. But again. It, it takes a while for those to show up. Um, uh, these supply chains are not are not they're not that fragile. That is good to know because that the, the headlines feel as though um, they are extremely fragile, and we've we've seen you know large um, freighters stuck in the Panama Canal and how it did have you know a backup that impacted the global supply chain. But there are ways and safeguards in place. Uh, to ensure that that the most vital of of these pieces arrive at their destination, yeah, um, no, that's, that's what I'm I'm gleaning from yeah, you. Yeah, no, that's that's that that that's absolutely right. You know, there's if there's there there are going to be some people who are really going to be inconvenienced and uh, wouldn't wouldn't want to minimize that. And you know, that's right. that's part of why that's part of why I'm sure they they agreed to keep the cruise terminals open um, because yes. Somebody shows up at YVR and they get told, "Sorry, you 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 you're not getting on your cruise." They're gonna, you know, the politicians are gonna hear all about that. Um, so, yeah. you know, so there are those, and you know, and if someone's waiting for a vital container load of something, they they could be inconvenienced by this. But at, at an at an aggregate level, um, if something's perishable, they'll find somewhere else to sell it, or maybe if it's really valuable, they'll put it on an airplane or a truck. Um, and right. if uh, and 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 so in the short term there are all those kinds of adjustments that that people um, do make. Professor Peter Hall, thank you very much for bringing your expertise to our program today. Appreciate your time. You're welcome, Jody. Take care. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith. Time to speak about the management of freight and what happens when there is a strike the way we are seeing the port workers and longshoremen of BC. Uh, what happens to the freight that doesn't move, that arrives on the coast, but doesn't get put onto ships and, and sent off to parts unknown? John Corey is the president of Freight Management Association of Canada and joins us now. John, how are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. How busy so, is your life right now with what's going on here? Well, uh, let's say it was a busy uh, Canada Day weekend. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. What kind of impacts is this strike going to have on your industry? Well, I, uh, a strike is going to have a tremendous impact on the supply chain in general. But um, even before a strike happens, now there have been negotiations going on for weeks before the actual strike was called. And during that time, mm-hmm. uh, shippers... Uh, are looking for alternatives so they don't get caught when the strike actually happens. So you start seeing disruptions in the supply chain weeks before where, uh, uh, you know, shippers and importers are diverting their traffic to make sure that it gets where it's supposed to go. Uh, 
obviously their first choice is the most efficient and cheapest method. And when they have to divert from that, it becomes less efficient and more expensive. Then when the strike actually happens, and as we have it, you know, in, on the BC coast, when uh, the gates are locked, nothing moves. And you mentioned, you know, the preamble, like what happens to freight? Well, it's like a, it's like a conveyor belt. If you put a door at the end of the conveyor belt, everything just starts getting piling up, piled up behind it. So uh, rail, trans- uh, rail freight coming into the port uh, can't. There's no room to put the boxes or to put the goods. So it gets backed up into their yards. Um, shippers who have, uh, you know, bring their goods to those yards. There's no room in the yards because they're full of containers. It has to stay in the factory. In some cases, factories have to ship, shut down because they cannot move their goods out and there's no room for them. So it has a ripple effect throughout the supply chain. And uh, this costs everybody money, time, effort. And ultimately, that's going to get passed on to the consumer. Right. That's a big concern for so many listening right now. $800 million a day going through our BC ports is not an insignificant number. And we were listening on Mornings with Simi, listening to um, just how our corner of the world is where many choose to ship through because we have such direct lines. What when you're looking at what's happening here and making another plan, as you mentioned, the the least expect, expensive next option, um, what does that look like for people trying to move goods to and from Canada? Well, just a little uh, set this up. Uh, they were negotiating in the United States for their West Coast ports also just recently, and they came to a deal. And so now you have a situation where Canada is closed to business and the U.S. is open. And if you are shipping to North America from, say, Asia, and your choice is you can't go to Vancouver, you might go to Tacoma or Seattle, and you may be able to hook up with a rail line going east to satisfy your customers. If this continues uh, longer and longer, there may be a, a you know congestion on those alternatives. And if they can handle it, some shippers may decide that that's a better route because it's more reliable. I mean, the day-to-day impact is not good for, one, the workers, the employer, the port, Canadians in general, all the other members of the supply chain. But what really hurts is Canada's reputation as a reliable place to do business. And during COVID, there were numerous shutdowns of the supply chain, whether it was natural, which, you know, we have little to no effect over those flooding in B.C. um, and wildfires. But there were also blockades at uh, ports, uh, well, not ports, but also at uh, border points. Border. And there were also strikes. And Mm -hmm. these things accumulate, accumulate. And and if I was in a a different country and I looked at the Canadian supply chain and it's sort of breaking down every so often with regularity, or I could go somewhere else where it's smooth and I have reliance on it and my goods are going to get where they're going, which choice will I make? So Canada's reputation is going to take a beating over this. I only have 30 seconds left, John. Do you think that the federal government should step in here? Well, uh, I just was on a call this morning. The two sides are no longer negotiating because they've come to an impasse. Um, If the government, they have really two levers. They can use moral suasion to persuade the parties to get back to the table and cut a deal, or they can legislate them back. And the longer this goes, uh, you know, for instance, what if this goes for three weeks? 
then they'll have no choice but to legislate it back. I think they should do it right now and get it over with, get people back to work. All right, John Corey, president of the Freight Management Association of Canada, thank you very much for giving us your perspective this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jody.